And we are so excited this morning to have Cal and Michelle Pierce with us. Uh, Cal is, well, I guess they both are the international directors of the uh, uh, sort of international healing rooms, uh, which we were a part of that. Uh, our healing rooms on Monday nights, <clears throat> every Monday night, we have just seen so many phenomenal things happen. And I was speaking with Cal this morning earlier of how it has so impacted our church when we decided, I guess it was, what, three years ago now, Bob? Three years? That uh, we, would, we would begin the healing rooms within our church. And uh, it's made such a phenomenal difference in the lives of so many people in the life of our church. And so we are so grateful to be a part of this association. Uh, uh, such, a, such an amazing blessing to be that. And um, so I know you're going to be blessed with this morning. How many of you have had opportunity to go out uh, either on Friday or Saturday in the meetings that Cal's been doing? Just lift your hands. Wow, good number of people. That's great. And well, welcome here this morning, and we're going to continue this morning and tonight. Let me just tell you, there's a little bit of confusion tonight on exactly the time, and we want to bring clarity to that uh, because there's there's actually being advertised two different times. So, uh, so it is going to be at six o'clock, okay? And so, uh, some has been advertised at seven, but come a little bit earlier, and uh, but starting at six o'clock. And uh, we're going to have a great time tonight and just to be able to just see all the great things that God is going to do in our midst. So I want us to stand up, please. I want us to honor this man and woman of God. And I want us to put our hands together in an appropriate way and give thanks this morning for Cal and Michelle. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, this. Hello, everybody. We're very excited to be here. Really, I'm not going to speak. Really excited to be here. And uh, and this is great, and I want to say your worship was, oh, I've just, did you write your own songs? Well, there weren't any names down there where they came from, but they, they were wonderful. I love it. The worship time was so special for me. Thank you. Okay. Because they're driven by the spirit of revelation. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I get a sense that God is up to something. And I think it's us. We're about to experience the greatest awakening and revival the world has ever known. Amen. Yes. As you heard and know, shaking is taking place. Hallelujah. And God doesn't care if a Supreme Court can try to set a law against him. God's got a law above any Supreme Court. Hallelujah, because we've got a Supreme God. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I read the last chapter. We win. 
So I'm excited about being on the winning team because when you know you win, doesn't that change the way you fight? When you know you win, you don't have to fight for victory. You just simply fight from victory because you're the victorious bride. Hallelujah. So we're excited about being able to travel around the world. And, and now in this season, we're just fanning the flame of revival. We're just getting everybody ready for what God is about to pour out. And uh, because it's, it's going to be the most fun anybody could ever have. Hallelujah. And you're in an awesome place right here. God set you in a place to begin to release revival into the youth in this university. You know, and I saw youth standing around this building, thousands of them being drawn to this building. Thousands of them being drawn to this building. Because the Isaiah 60 generation is getting ready to arise. Darkness is covering the earth, deep darkness of people, but there's an army of dread champions about to arise and shine because the glory of the Lord is coming upon them, and they're going to step into their destiny. And they're going to move with signs and wonders and miracles. They're going to be the dread champions of Jeremiah 20:11. He is with me like a dread champion, and my enemy shall no longer prevail against me. These end-time warriors... They won't have an enemy because they won't pay attention to him anymore. They won't face their enemy. They'll simply face their God because what you face is what you embrace. And my attitude is this. If you have a full-time God, you won't need a devil. <laughs> Anybody in the house need a devil? No. Why you need a devil? He's under your feet. That's why he's defeated. If you have authority over all of his power, how much power does he have over you? See, the reason he tempts you is because that's his acknowledgement that you carry all the power. Yeah. If he had all the power, he wouldn't have to tempt you. So know that you have authority over all of his power. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is coming against you. Because you're a warrior, you're bred to fight. You're designed to destroy the work of the enemy because, as you heard, you have a kingdom that's unshakable inside of you. And if you need a breakthrough, all you got to do is have a breakout. The kingdom is about to break out of these dread champions because everything that's in the king's kingdom is inside of you. We don't need to look for a kingdom that's already in us. And that kingdom has signs and wonders and miracles and all that God has is inside of us, ready to be broken out. So you've got to have that breakout and it'll give you the breakthrough. And you'll break into revelation and transformation and a demonstration of power. So it's an exciting time to be in the kingdom of God. It's an exciting time to be on the winning team because I'll guarantee you, God's not looking down here concerned one bit. He knows the outcome, and he's just trying to get us to know the outcome. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be exciting. Michelle and I grew up in Redding, California. You know, we, we, we went to grade school together, went to high school together, got married. Back when they didn't have computers, we had those little beads that we you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we've been slide rule. <laughs> yeah. So we we've been married in August fifty one years. Hallelujah. I read in Genesis 6 where it says God gives man 120 years, so I figured we're only halfway there. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, science has proven that with proper nutrition and exercise that man can live 120 years. Well, I figured if an unredeemed scientist can agree with God, so can I. <laughs> I told my staff, you might as well get used to it because I'm going to be around here another 50 years. They said, yeah, but you're only going to be 115. I said, well, i got to retire sometime. <laughs> As a man thinks within himself, so is he. Hello. If you don't like the way you are, change the way you think. Think according to heaven, not be limited to earth. So we grew up in Reading, got married there, attended Bethel Church. Bill Johnson's dad, Earl, was our senior pastor for 14 years. And I was a real estate developer. We had a real estate developing business. We built office buildings from Reading all the way down to Sacramento. And I had a plan. And I was an elder at Bethel Church off and on, on, on the board off and on. And my plan was to retire and go RVing. <laughs> and uh, God wasn't going to get in my way, you know, because I had a life. And it was all planned out. It was my plan. And uh, so it was working pretty well. And we would go out to dinner on Friday night with our RVing cronies and talk about our RVing trip. And it didn't bother me to miss church because I had a plan. And church wasn't going to get in the way of that plan. And then in 1996, we got a new senior pastor in January by the name of Bill Johnson. And he'd been visiting wells of revival. He'd been visiting places I'd never heard of, like Brownsville and Toronto. And, and uh, so, uh, you know, and one, one time we were out having dinner with our friends, and one of the ladies said, well, you know, our new senior pastor, Bill Johnson's having these other meetings around town because he wasn't having them right away at Bethel Church because we were a 2,000-member religious organization. <laughs> Filled with people that had a life. <laughs> and so he was having these other meetings around town, and people, she said, people were falling down and shaking and crying and all these things that were going on. Going home that night, I remember telling Michelle, those are the meetings we're not going to. <laughs> because that didn't fit into my box. That wasn't part of my plan. And then it was about May of 19... Uh, 96 that Bill had just gotten back from Toronto and he decided after about five months at this church it was time to introduce the Holy Spirit to this Assembly of God church that was supposed to already have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so he put out a letter that if you were in leadership or on the board, because I used to tell people that's the reason I'm on the board, I'm the most board member this church has. And so she brought me the letter, and she had it 
requirement underlined, so I wouldn't miss that requirement part. And being, being a religious man, I understood about requirements, so I went to the meeting, and it was in what they call the great room up behind the sanctuary, and there was about, I don't know, 200 people there, I guess. And they had the youth do four or five praise and worship songs, and, you know, I got through that, and, <laughs> you know, and checked my watch and thought about some other things I had to do, and, and uh, not knowing that Bill just got back from Toronto after that, he simply stepped forward, raised his hands to heaven, and said, Come, Holy Spirit. And that was the last thing I remember. <laughs> I stood there as the fire of God began to course through my body. I wanted to run, jump, and shout, and scream, but all I could do is stand there and take it. Until finally Michelle pulled on my sleeve and said, Honey, the meeting's over and everybody's going home. <laughs> now, I don't know what their meeting was about, but I know what mine was about. <laughs> because before that encounter, I didn't want to be at church, and after that encounter, I couldn't stay away. <laughs> As a matter of fact, when she said everybody's leaving, I, I told her, I said, I can't move. I'm stuck to the floor. And I st stood there all that time, and I couldn't move. And she had to go get two men. They put a chair behind me, and it took two men to pull my feet up off the floor. It was the most bizarre thing I'd ever experienced. But that encounter didn't just change my moment. It changes my entire life. And that's the kind of encounter that God wants to make in this end-time army of God because he says, I'm a consuming fire, and I will make my ministers a flame of fire. See, fire requires a movement, does it not? I'll guarantee you if I brought you up here and I took a match and lit your shirt tail on fire, we'd have a movement. <laughs> and when the fire of God comes on an end-time believer, you're going to have a movement because you can't sit still. Because when the word comes, it only produces two things, religion that will keep you stuck in a pew or revelation that will require a movement. And the church only needs a movement when it's bound up. Whoop! <laughs> See, <laughs> for 25 years at Bethel Church, I thought the pew was my destiny. And when revival came, I realized that if I sit in the pew long enough, I'll know why it's called a pew. See, I thought for 25 years God was coming to fix me. But when revival come, it finally dawned on me, he's not coming to fix me. He's coming to kill me. Because <laughs> he said, if it's not you that lives, somebody here is going to die. And I figured that wasn't going to be God. <laughs> See, he wants us to die because when our life is over, his life can take over. The most freed up people I've ever met in the church are people that don't have a life. They just possess his life, and they move in resurrection power. See, God said, I didn't want to fix you because I didn't want you to be the way you were. See, he wants to put something in you, make a deposit inside of a believer. In the Old Testament, God was with them. So to win the battle, they had to wait for God to show up. But in the New Testament, God is in you. 
to win the battle, all you have to do is show up. Because you have authority over all the power of the enemy. The enemy will measure you by how you see yourself. If you see yourself mighty in God, that's how the enemy will see you. Don't pay him any attention. He's not worth it. Don't walk by sight, otherwise you'll, you'll see what the enemy is doing. And he wants to mess with you to have you watch what he's doing so that your confession will line up with what the devil's doing rather than what God is doing. See, it amazes me, you know, we have over 3,000 healing rooms in 78 countries. And most of the people coming to healing rooms are people coming from the church because they've been in, more impacted by what the devil does than what God does because they've been facing their enemy rather than facing their God. And when you face your enemy, you go by what you see. And he causes all kinds of trouble in your life so that what you will do is, is enlarge what he's doing. Well, I've just got sickness. I've got poverty. We talk about all the things the devil does in our life rather than the things that God does. Our victory comes from God. Sure, we have an enemy, but he's under our feet. He has no authority over a believer who is filled with resurrection power. If you're the body of Jesus and he's your head and the Holy Spirit is in you, then you have resurrection power residing in you, and you should have nothing of the enemy inside of a believer. That's why God says, cast down imaginations and those things of the enemy that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God in your life. You have authority over all the power of your enemy. And I think one of the most revelatory words in this hour is going to be the word all. Because God is saying, what part of all can't you figure out? You have authority over all the power of your enemy. And when a believer no longer has their life, but they only have his life, they will no longer focus on the enemy. They'll simply focus on God and have a full-time God and realize that they have an armor that extinguishes all the fiery darts of the enemy. See, I believe in this season of this great move of the Holy Spirit that's getting beginning to be poured out upon the earth, it's going to increase and accelerate everything that we've been doing. And then miracles and signs and wonders will be the norm, not the exception. We won't have to look for a sign and a wonder. We will become a sign and a wonder. We will carry resurrection power because the enemy will no longer inflict us. So God wants to get his bride healed up and purged of everything that's come out of the enemy's camp. No longer will a past trauma be a present reality in a believer's life. God calls your past past for a reason. It's over. You have a future and it ain't supposed to look that way anymore. Because in, in Corinthians 5.17, it says you're a new creation. You're born again and you're recreated or you're renovated as a vessel of God. You're a new creation. He puts his spirit in you and causes you to become a new creation and deposits a kingdom inside of you that has all of heaven available to you. 
old things pass away. Well, what are those old things? Maybe those are the things under the curse. In other words, the old man has passed away. He died. There's a new man coming. New things are coming, and those things are the things of God, the things of the kingdom that God deposits in you because the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit who is inside of you. You have available. you got everything that God is ever going to deposit in you already. Without God, we cannot. Without us, he will not. As a new creation, you're the vessel for heaven to arrive on earth. You're the legal access for heaven to arrive here as it is there. You're a kingdom entity. You're to establish and extend his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We don't need heaven on earth. We need his kingdom on earth just like it is there. And that's what we're getting ready to do. It doesn't matter what the enemy does. He has no authority. The darker it gets in the world, the lighter it's going to get in the kingdom. The greater the authority that will be in the kingdom. Light belongs in darkness. And when we understand that and we get it, we begin to move in the fullness of the authority or the fullness of him who fills all in all, not some in some. But we have to stop fighting the devil. The church will move in power when it stops fighting the devil. If the devil's under your feet, how big is he? There's a reason why the Bible says the wicked will be cut short. <laughs> He's defeated. Look down at your feet. How big is your enemy? I don't know about you, but I've been into the enemy's camp, and I spied it out. And my confession is this, little devil, big God. When the church gets a big God, it'll move in the fullness of authority. And no weapon formed against them will prosper. Because it doesn't matter how it looks, because you don't walk by sight anyway. What matters is what God says. And he puts something inside of you a will of God that is to be performed on the earth through you and I. A winning team who has a winning God who releases proclamations over cities. And God's going to begin to set those prophetic intercessors into kingdom strategies like they've never had before. And they will begin to combine spiritual thoughts with spiritual words and begin to release prophetic proclamations over communities and over cities that will set a net over the city and the enemy will not be able to prevail under it. And those prophetic intercessors will be called air traffic controllers. Controlling the airway with Yahweh. Hello. It's time. It's time that this revival generation arises and realizes they have a God who is able to do beyond what we could ask or think according to the resurrection power we have available to us. You see, God's not a believer. I like saying that. What did you say? God's not a believer. He didn't write the book so he could have something to believe. 
He's a creator. When you believe, he creates. He's looking for a church who will believe so that he can create on the earth as it is in heaven. He not only gives you his will, he backs it up with his spirit because when the spirit comes upon you, it, you have what? Power. Power for what? To cause the word to become creative in a vessel so that that word is living and active. It will not go out void. It will accomplish what you send it to do if you know it. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence you have in him. When you ask anything according to his will, he says, I hear you. And he says, if you know I hear you, you have what you ask for. You don't have to get it. You have it because the kingdom is inside of you. All of heaven is available to you. You already have signs and wonders and miracles because you are a miracle worker because you've got a miracle God inside of you. You've got resurrection power residing inside of you, and your enemy cannot prevail against you if you know it. I think God wants to tap into our knower because our knower determines our goer. Too many believers don't know, therefore they can't go. Hallelujah. Sometimes I want to slap a demon, but usually somebody's in the way. Too many people in the church are having a hard time recognizing their enemy because he's become too familiar. You know church becomes religious when you know what's going to happen before you get there. It's about time we come to church with an expectation to have an encounter of God that just not changes our moment but changes our whole life. I can't wait to go to a church that has no chairs. That'll mess up religious people. Where do I sit down? You don't. You get on your face because you're about to have an encounter with God. Hello. That's what Sunday morning ought to be. It's not a religious event. It's an event where God whacks you so bad you're just silly in him. And you become a peculiar person. Let me tell you, when you move in signs and wonders and miracles, religious people ain't going to like you. John the Baptist, he wasn't very favored. He come out of the desert. He hadn't taken a bath in who knows how long. Camel hair coat, leather strap around his waist. When he grinned, there was a grasshopper leg between his teeth. And he come walking into town, and the religious people didn't like it. And he said, I, you may not like what you see, but there's somebody coming in after me who is mightier than I, and he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Hello. When religion doesn't like you, you can tell them, hey, there's somebody coming in after me, and he's going to bring the fire of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So don't worry about how you look. Because you're going to be weird. <laughs> you might as well get used to being weird. Hallelujah. <laughs> At Bethel Church, before we had that encounter, and I was a board member, Bill was starting to visit these places of revival, and strange things were happening at the church. 
and I was an elder and a board member, and there was a lady sitting up in the front row, and every Sunday morning she just laughed her head off. Bill's trying to preach, and she's just laughing. <clears throat> I got with some other elders, and I said, we got to do something about that lady. <laughs> we can't have somebody in our church that happy. <laughs> We're a religious organization. we got to shut that down. How dare that lady come into this church and laugh? We got to take care of that. She has to be just like we are. She's got to be religious like we are. So we were going to have a meeting with her one Sunday morning. And Bill, I don't know if he heard or what, but something happened because he shared her testimony of how she had a lifetime of abuse and got delivered and the joy of the Lord come upon her and she laughed for an entire month. <laughs> Needless to say, we didn't have our meeting. But then we became just like she was. And we all got happy. <laughs> God's looking for a happy church. Why let McDonald's serve all the happy meals? We need to serve them in the church and supersize them. Hello. Where the joy of the Lord can be our strength. I had a lady come to me at a conference. She said, can you pray for me? I've lost my joy. I said, well, I'm not praying for you. She said, why not? I said, because you didn't need your joy. Yeah, I don't need joy. What do you mean? I said, you don't need your joy. He says he gives you his joy that your joy will be full. All we need is his joy, and we won't have to worry about our own. And our joy will be full. So God wants to heal the bride of Christ. He wants to restore this bride and purge the bride from everything the enemy has brought against the bride of Christ. And we need to realize healing is only difficult when you think you have something to do with it. You can't have a full-time healing with a part-time God. See, how can God heal someone when he's already done it? Too many people are waiting for God to heal him. Heal her. But God said everything he's going to do about salvation, he's done everything he's going to do about healing. See, if we're asking God, why haven't you healed me, he might want to ask you a question. What more do you want me to do? Was it not enough that I sent my son to the cross to bear your sickness? Healing isn't what takes place in your body. Healing is what took place at the cross. It's a demonstration of that power that takes place in your body. You don't have to look for your healing in the future. It's in the past. He bore past tense your sickness. He carried past tense your pain. By his stripes, you were past tense healed. All you've got to do is receive it and take it on because it's already given. It's too late. You're already healed. <laughs> you just have to come into the realization of that that manifestation. You see, receiving your healing deals with your condition. Being healed deals with your position. God wants to move us into a positional place where a believer will say, I am who I am because I am says I am, and I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. 
and walk in the authority and the power of that. It doesn't matter the condition of your body. What matters is the position of your spirit that will cause your body to line up with it because you have resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is residing in you to demonstrate the will of God in your life. You don't have to have somebody lay hands on you. You just have to have Holy Spirit resurrection power residing inside of you and come to the realization that you are healed by the stripes of Jesus and begin to put a demand on that, not being demanding but pressing in so that heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force because it's been purchased for you. Should you not have what Jesus bore for you? Did he not bear it so you wouldn't have to bear it? See, my attitude is this. If the church is bearing the sickness he already bore for it, would that not be a denial of the cross? Hello? Somebody said, you can't say that. You're going to make the sick feel bad. Hello? I think they feel bad enough. Sympathy, sympathy brings agreement and locks them in. Compassion brings deliverance and takes them out. It's not about sympathizing with the sick. It's about delivering them out. The entire work of healing that Jesus brought through the old covenant and the new covenant, that entire work of healing pointed to one thing, a body with no sickness in it. God's ultimate goal was not healing. His ultimate goal is a body of health that has nothing of the enemy in it. It's called deliverance. And God wants to deliver this army so this army will no longer have to carry anything of the enemy and no longer have to struggle against what the enemy has done in their past. They will have a future that has nothing of the enemy in it. They will move in the fullness of authority and set the captives free because they've got all that God has inside of them. And there's nothing of the enemy in this army. So God wants to restore us in spirit, mind, and body so that we become what the body of Jesus was meant to look like. See, I think Jesus is looking down at his body in this hour saying, this is not what I had in mind. He wants his body to exemplify what he purchased on the cross for it that his blood covered. And that's a warrior that's mighty in God, a warrior that purges itself of everything the enemy has because it has the authority to do that because it has authority over all the power of the enemy. That it no longer possesses anything from the enemy's camp. We have to change our confession and not take possession of what the enemy wants us to believe in and see ourselves the way God sees us. Too many believers say, I have arthritis, I have bad eyes, I have this, I have that. Well, possession is nine-tenths of the law. It's okay to recognize where the battle is, but don't take possession of it. Say, it's coming against me, but I reject it. It's not mine, send it back. <laughs> send it back. 
I mean, my goodness, if the postman come to your front door with a special delivery package that's got your name on it, and there's a bunch of hissing and rattling inside, are you going to take it? No, return to sender. It ain't yours. You were not designed to have that in you because you've been redeemed from the curse. So why should you have the curse you've been redeemed from? Hello? You're cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And nothing of the curse, no weapon formed against you should be able to prosper against you when you know it. God wants the bride of Christ to know something that no weapon formed against you can prosper because greater is he that is in you than he that is coming against you because you have the fullness of the Godhead inside of you. Resurrection power, mighty in God, tearing down strongholds, a warrior, bred to fight. Hallelujah. Bread to fight, the very epitome of God on the earth. The legal access for heaven to come down here. Isn't that interesting? God could have come down here and fixed this in an instant. But why did he not do that? Because of his great love for his children. He wanted us to choose him. He made a new covenant in the blood of the Lamb, and he would not break that covenant. So he works through the bride of Christ. He gives you authority. You become the legal access. If this program was up to God, I'll guarantee you, it would have already been fixed by now. It's not up to God. It's up to you and I. It's up to you and I to walk in the fullness of God. It's up to you and I to walk in the authority that Jesus has given us. He's our head. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not seated at the right hand of the Father because he needed a chair. The Holy Spirit's not in you because he was homeless. The Holy Spirit is in you for occupation. He's been there for occupation. When he occupies you and you're led by the Holy Spirit, he goes before you. He's your rear guard, and no weapon formed against you can prosper because you've got the Holy Spirit. He's not like the Maytag repairman to be unemployed. He wants to be employed by every believer so that he can fulfill the will of God. I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, do you need my help? He said, no. He said, I just need your will. And he said, when your will matches my will, then my will can be done on the earth as it is in heaven. It's simply the matching of the wills. Because when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive power. You have none other than the Spirit of God that resides in you, who is the power that you have available to you. And when the Holy Spirit occupies you, you have liberty to release him into every situation because where the spirit resides, there's liberty in a believer that they can do the impossible, that they can see what the Father sees. And when you see what the Father sees, you can have what the Father has. Hallelujah. Yeah. You can have what the Father has. Why? Why? Because you already have it.
You already have it. It's a kingdom inside of you that's bigger than the world around you. And the access to the Father is by the Spirit that resides in a believer. And then you can work a miracle. And then you can do all things through him who strengthens you. When you see what God sees, you will become a miracle worker. If you're on the street and you're witnessing to somebody and they're not getting it and they're missing a hand, they need a miracle or a sign to lead them to Jesus, do they not? But notice the hand is only out of your sight. It's not out of your reach. When you see what the Father sees, the Father doesn't see the hand missing. The Father sees the missing hand. And when you see what the Father sees, you can call forth that which is not, and it shall be. Because when you speak and you combine spiritual words with spiritual thoughts, when you speak, what you speak is the sound of God's will that comes out of your mouth, and it comes into the natural realm, and then what isn't rushes to be as the hand comes back into place. Because you see, the enemy only can move the hand out of the natural or seeing realm. He can never remove it out of the kingdom realm. The hand is still there. It's still there. It's still in the kingdom. That's why people say that are missing a hand, I still feel my fingers. You ever hear that? The hand is existing in the realm of the kingdom so that the enemy removes it in the seeing realm so you will walk by sight and believe it isn't there. When you walk by sight, you fulfill the will of the enemy. When you walk by faith, you fulfill the will of God. By faith, you will call forth that which is not, and what is not will rush to be. Because you're designed to be a, wor a miracle worker, because you've got miracle working power inside of you. Just simply say, Holy Spirit, allow me to see what the Father sees. And then you'll see every person through the blood of Jesus cleansed and perfect, and you'll simply bring them into that destiny. You'll simply bring them into the fullness of what the Father has seized them to be, totally cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And as you do that, you'll simply bring them into that destiny. You'll simply bring them into, out of trauma, into the reality of their destination because that's what you're called to do because that's the authority that you have as the bride of Christ. That's the authority that you have that's going to break barrenness off of the end-time church as signs and wonders and miracles follow after you. You're no longer following after them because you're a miracle worker because you've got a miracle working God inside of you. Whoa, get ready, get ready, get ready to have an adventure in God, get ready to have an adventure in God, God says come up here, outside of Spokane in the Cascade Mountains, there's an elevation called the snake line, it's an elevation the snakes can't rise above. And I've noticed when you're hiking above the snake line, you can't get bit. 
God says, come up here. Come up here. I have a place where you can reside where you can't get bit because you're above the snake line. Your enemy can't touch you because you're untouchable, because you have the armor of God or the life of that armor, and no weapon formed against you can prosper. And it doesn't matter what the enemy does because you're designed to destroy it anyway. Hello. Hallelujah. Because you're a warrior, you're bred to fight. It amazes me, God's got the only army that shows up on the battlefield not expecting anyone to be there. Hello, you have an enemy, but he's under your feet. He's already defeated. Walk in power. Walk in authority. Walk in dominion. Walk in your inheritance, the will of God for you knowing that you've got something inside of you residing, waiting to break out, that all that is in this book is available to you. I, I hear too often, well, I don't know if God's going to fulfill his will in my life. It's always his will to fulfill his will. That's why it's called his will. He doesn't have to decide to fulfill it. It's already fulfilled. Hello? And it's for you. Should you not have it? Hello. Stop struggling against it and start living in it. Because you're a warrior. We're either going to have a great awakening or we're going to have a rude awakening. I'm ready for a great awakening. Hallelujah. And you're it. You're it. Get ready. Get ready for what God is about to do. So tonight we're going to add to this. Tonight we're going to release the fire of God. Tonight we're going to cause you to get set on fire so the world can watch you burn. <laughs> Hallelujah. You are the revival generation. You're living in the greatest time and season in the history of the church. And you ought to get excited about it. It matters not what a government does what a people does that are outside of the kingdom of God because you are designed to change all of that. You're designed to bring them into the kingdom. And you're designed to do it with power and authority and dominion because you're mighty warriors. Hallelujah. You're right, sister. Get it right. Hallelujah. Pastor, love you guys. Bless you. Amen.